We will take questions at 740-383-9944. That's 740-383-WWGH. Or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good morning, Marion County and our friends and the surrounding uh communities. Uh, my name is John Hoey. I'm a Lutheran pastor from Powell. I'm your guest host today. Uh, Alan's with me. Alan's with uh, Bread Each Week. Uh, Alan, do you have an official title? Um, uh, no, permanent uh, guest. Sidekick? Uh, Sidekick. Um. Well, very good. Where is uh, our our beloved regular host? Uh, is he uh, playing hooky or what's he doing? I think he's in Pennsylvania right now in a, in a conference learning Yes, uh, I think he's also near Gettysburg, and he's a big Civil War buff, if I remember right. Yeah, oh yeah, so uh, we, we're hearing a lot about that, so. Well, uh, again, my name is John Hoey. I'm a Lutheran pastor from Powell, and uh, uh, my, I've known Brett for about 11 years since I moved here from the uh, New England area, and we've been good friends, and I think it's either our friendship or the fact that he couldn't find anybody else that he got me to come today. What do you think, Alan? I think it was friendship. Oh, okay, very good. Um, <clears throat> Alan, uh, last night, I don't know, did you have chance by any chance uh, to watch or hear the debates by chance? <clears throat> I, you know, I heard, I saw bits and pieces online, so uh, I didn't catch the whole thing. Yeah, I was in my car coming back from Indianapolis, and uh, so listening to it on the radio, which is a different experience. Uh, uh, going back many, many years ago, they said uh, Richard Nixon on the radio won the debate against John F. Kennedy, mm -hmm. but in person on TV, he did not. You know? Right, so, I know he was sick or he had a fever. Yeah, he was sweating and he looked like he was nervous or something and he refused makeup. <laughs> that was a big, big mistake. But um, last night was the debate. I listened to bits and pieces. Uh, my wife recorded so I could watch it, but I got home at midnight and missed it. But uh, uh, we're only 15 months away from the elections. Uh, it's hard to believe that. And uh, you know, it seems like the campaign season starts earlier and earlier. Uh, I know at this point, uh, Brett usually does a little spiel here, and I'm going to do my spiel. I thought I would take the very easy topic of how a Christian should vote in 2016. Do you think that's uh Oh, that's very, it's very relevant. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give it. Uh, you know, when you when the pastor says I'm going to tell you guys how to vote, uh, I think everybody panics. But uh, uh, maybe if you could just listen in. Uh, Maybe I can set your heart at ease. You know, uh, the Bible says that in whatever we do, we should do to the glory of God, and mm -hmm. we should always consider the needs of others more important than ourselves. So I think if we, if we respond to the grace of God in all of our life, which all includes the way we vote, that um, the way we vote should be seen as an act of service for our fellow man. And so when you go to the ballot, hopefully over the next 15 months, uh, you'll state the issues that are facing our country. And then when you go to vote, you make the, the most prayerful, wise decision you can. But from the letter to St. Paul to Ephesians and elsewhere, we should look not to our own interests only, but to the interests of others. And um, so often I think people vote only for what is best for their own pocketbook. Um, St. Paul would say, no, don't look for your own interests, but look for the interests of others. And so I, I would say a Christian who allows uh, God to influence the way he votes should study the issues with the view, how can my vote serve my neighbor? 
Martin Luther made a lot to do about this, that we Christians are free, uh, subject to none, yet we are also slaves to everyone. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a weird statement, but by that, Luther said, we sh- this is how we should use our freedom, to serve our neighbor in the time of his need. And so there are many, many issues other than my own personal pocketbook that should uh, motivate my giving. And so, um, you know, we have, uh, I'm just going to throw out a few examples. I'm, it's not exhaustive, but we have so many people that are still presently out of work, you know. So, you know, if, if that's uh, on your heart, that we got so many people out of work, you may want to consider, you know, which candidate has the best ideas to put more people back to work. Um, Brett and I come from a pro-life denomination called the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and certainly for some of our people, uh, which candidate mm-hmm. has the best uh, pro-life platform right. uh, might be another. And then, <coughs> then there's the whole human trafficking issue, which candidate has the best issue for that. So I think it's, you know, it's not so much the outcome of how you vote, but what, how you are motivated. And if I think you go to the ballot, uh, studying the issues, thinking out, this is my best guess at how to cast a ballot that serves my fellow man. I think with that, God is well pleased. And that, my friends, is I believe how a Christian should vote in 2016 in love uh, for his neighbor and in response to God's love in Jesus Christ. So is that revolutionary? Uh, <laughs> from what I hear around, yet yeah, it is revolutionary. Uh, I think people do uh, vote in their self-interest, so. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, only singular issues. So I, I'm, I'm perfectly pleased if a Christian who's motivated out of the grace of God uh, chooses a different set of issues that serves his fellow man than what I do. You know, if it's motivated out of love for neighbor, I can't, I can't fault him. No, oh, absolutely. For choosing a different candidate than myself. You know. Um, Years ago, I met a Lutheran pastor, and uh, a quick aside here, uh, you know, I, I tend to vote mostly for a pro-life candidate, mm-hmm. but I, I met a, a Lutheran pastor in my denomination that he, he votes pretty much straight for the other party on that particular issue, and I'm going, why? And he said, I really believe that their platform uh, will make it less often that the abortion would be done, you know? And so I... I sat back and you know, I didn't totally agree with him, but at the same point I said, he's got a wonderful motivation. He, is, he has studied the issues and from his viewpoint, he's gonna cast his ballot this way to make abortion more rare. So I couldn't fault him for that. Now you can, it's tough. Even with people that you want everybody to have health care, mm-hmm. but you know, is the current plan the best for everybody or not? But yeah. I think I, I would vote. Whatever is yeah. the best for, for everyone else. Right. And uh, we've got plenty of issues. We've got so many issues that you, know, you, might, you may have a, a top issue or two, Alan, that differs from me, and maybe you'll vote a little bit differently than I. But if you're motivated out of love for your neighbor, I, I can't fault you. I think it's a God-pleasing thing to do. So that's uh, how a Christian votes in 2016. Yeah, every week we get together and we study the lessons as well for this upcoming week. Um, we're going to say the lessons are read in many Lutheran, Episcopal, uh, Presbyterian, uh, 
uh, some other churches this week. Uh, it's from the three-year lectionary. Uh, there's another lectionary that Brett seems to use more often, the uh, more traditional one-year lectionary. But he said we could go with this week's uh, three-year lectionary. And so, uh, uh, Alan, do you mind uh, taking us? Uh, we're in our three-year lectionary in a series of about five or six weeks. We're reading about Jesus being the bread of life. And so um, uh, let's see, uh, can you read the first lesson and tell us what the reference is? Yeah, so the first lessons from the Old Testament, uh, the first Kings, chapter 19, and this is about Elijah who flees Jezebel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. As he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Well, thank you so much. Um, Those of you who are from either a liturgical church like Lutheran, Episcopalian, or Roman Catholic, or others, uh, you know that on Sunday morning we usually read three lessons, an Old Testament lesson, and that is the Old Testament lesson for this Sunday. I don't know if everybody realizes this, Alan, but the Old Testament lesson, the first reading, and the gospel reading always relate. Right. So when uh, so when it gets dull during the sermon time, Alan, you just you know you can look at the lessons and say, ah, what's the relationship between the first and the gospel? And um, here we have the prophet Elijah being fed by God, right? Mm-hmm. Cakes of bread. Right. And in the gospel lesson, uh, God feeds the five thousand. Um, through Jesus with the bread of life, with the, 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 the loaves and the fish. And then Jesus talks about himself as the, the bread of life. So there's a connection there between bread. The prophet Elijah and his being fed with bread. And then the prophet Jesus, par excellence, uh, giving people the bread of life. So that's how that relates. Now, uh, there was a woman's name in that reading. Was it Jezebel? Jezebel, yeah. Uh, did they have the name Ahab in there too? Ahab told all this to Jezebel, uh, what Elijah had done, yeah. Yes. Uh, the context of that lesson, if you remember, is uh, it's not a real famous Bible verse, but it's, uh, it's a story I think some people would know. Um, there was a man named Naboth who had a vineyard, and um, Ahab wanted that vineyard, and Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. And so Jezebel tells the king, stop sulking, guy. You know, get up. You know, wash your face. Just sign an executive order. <laughs> and, he oh, took yeah. it, and he took it by force. By, I remember. Yeah. And, uh, he, he, and, he, um, and he also uh, made false claims against Naboth that resulted, I believe, in the death 
his own death, if, if I mm-hmm. remember the story. And so uh, Elijah spoke sharply against Ahab and Jezebel. And so from that point on, uh, Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. But Elijah was spared uh, death from the hands of Jezebel and death from starvation by being fed miraculously bread while in the desert, which is a miracle similar to what Jesus will do for the 5,000. Right. Well, uh, don't have a lot about to say about that. That's a hard one to preach, other than God does often provide for us. Um, the middle lesson is never, I won't say never, related yeah. to the other two. And holidays, festivals, Christmas, Easter, those things, mm-hmm. it does relate. But in the summertime, uh, we just read week after week from a book. Uh, we've been reading from the book of Ephesians. So mm-hmm. I think we're in about the fourth chapter there, aren't we, uh, Yeah, this is uh, the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of their heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, (coughs) and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you wow there's a uh, enough in each one of those sentences to <laughs> that to make a sermon if you want um alan i, I always like looking at the uh, broad picture first before we look at individual verses and in the book of ephesians for the first three chapters saint paul just just lavishes grace upon his readers talking about how much god has done for them in Jesus Christ, the first three chapters. Okay, yeah. And then the last three chapters is our response. Grace and then our response. God's love, our response. Um, and so we're, chapter four here is in the response part. And that grace and response part is, um, you'll see that in other books as well, especially Romans, I believe. Um but you know, years ago, I read a book by a man named Watchman Nee. Now, Watchman Nee was a famous Oriental pastor. Um, 
not Watchman Witness Lee. That's a different, uh, more cultic guy. But Watchman Nee wrote this book called Sit, Walk, Stand. Have you ever heard of that book? No, I haven't. It's a great little book. And what he did was he took a, a verb that's found in the first two chapters and said that that's what the first two chapters is about, sit. And then the second two chapters is about walk. We have that in verse 17, right? That we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Mm-hmm. And then the end, uh, there's the verse stand. Stand against the assaults of the devil, chapter 6. Okay. So instead of a, a, a simple two-part outline, grace, response, uh, he made it three-part. Sit, walk, stand. stand. And I... And, um, uh, right now, Alan and I are sitting, probably not in the most comfortable chairs, but we're sitting, and um, our bodies are basically, wouldn't you say, pretty much at rest? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's not our legs that are handling the stress of our, our weight, but the chair. So we're in a position of, of rest, okay. sitting. So, right, right. And so the first two chapters of Ephesians is how God has done all this for you. He's, he predestined you. He loved you. He lavished his grace upon you. Mm-hmm. And he united you in Jesus. And so we start from a position of rest. He's made us to sit. This is where that verse comes from. Sit in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Oh, okay. And so, you know, that's, that's our starting position, Alan. Uh, the Christian life starts not with do, 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 and then God will love you. It starts from, no, God has done all this for you. Just rest in him. See yourself seated with Jesus in heaven. So um, I like that. Isn't that a yeah. nice, that's a nice grace word. Now, uh, again, Al and I are resting right now in the chairs. And um, there's, about, there's some hymn verses, aren't there? Uh, uh, how we rest in God's grace. I'm trying to think of one right now, you know. Um, there's several that Jesus is our rest. So, um, so for the Christian, the starting position is seated with Christ, resting in God's grace. And then uh, after that is the response that we should walk. What do you think the word walk might mean, Alan? Uh, that's an old King James English Standard word. What do you think he's talking about here? Walk as in follow him or carry out your purpose? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I like the idea of following him. Uh, you know, conduct yourselves. A lot of translations, newer translations, take out that whole word walk and just say, live your life. You know, okay. you must no longer live like the Gentiles live. And that's not bad, but uh, I, I like the sit, walk, stand. So uh, we walk, trying mm-hmm. to follow Jesus. And in these verses here, we are to live our lives or walk around in this world differently than the Gentiles, differently than we were if we came to know Christ as adults. Uh, now, sometimes these verses are a little hard. Alan, have you, um, are you like a lifelong Christian or did you become a Christian later in life? I, I've been in church all my life, um, so... Uh, my faith has grown, although over the, my lifetime, definitely. Yeah, uh, a lot of our churches we do have mostly lifelong Christian types. We do have a few converts here and there, and often these converts, they when they come in, uh, they have to walk away. That's a good word. Walk away from the way that they used to live. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Paul's just reminding them 
because these are mostly adult converts that uh, you know you've learned a different way of life in Jesus so uh, put to death uh, leave behind all that you were as pagan Gentiles and don't live like people in the world who have darkened understanding Anything you want to say about those verses? There's a lot here. I mean, each sentence here. (laughs) You know, our speech should be different. Isn't that uh, in verse 29? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Our speech should be different. Verse 28, when we go work, we're doing work honestly. That's different than many people. And not honest work only, but we do honest work that we might have enough that we might share with someone in, in, uh, in need. We're not supposed to be full of anger, verse 31. Rather, we're supposed to be forgiving, in verse 32. So that's an entirely different way than the way of the world. Is it not, Alan? It's entirely different. And then uh, forgive one another as as God and Christ forgave you. Right. You know, you, you could go through much in the New Testament and underline the commandment, like here, you know, forgive one another, and then circle the reason we should, and that is God in Christ forgave you, you know. So Paul often relates uh, a command to the gospel that empowers us to do that. Uh, if I remember how much God has forgiven me, I think I can forgive you much easier. So I agree there, yeah. Very good. Um, you know, Paul talks about putting off our old ways. Uh, in our Lutheran catechism, we talk about how every day by sorrow and contrition we should drown the old man so that a new man might rise up. And um, so every day I've got to suppress my evil nature. And I, I think I'm best at that if I keep remembering who I am because of Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppress the old man by feeling sorrow for my sins but trusting in faith in the grace of God. And that, that suppresses the evil, you know. Um, Martin Luther was once asked, why do we have to do this every day? Why do we have to drown the old man every day? Uh-huh. And Luther said, because he's a very good swimmer. He keeps coming oh. back, <laughs> which is a good, good thing. That's true. I think it's true in my life. Uh, you know, uh, sinful desires and thoughts keep coming back. And so I have to keep reminding myself who I am in Jesus Christ to suppress that. Right, right. Um, if I could just take, uh, talk just a couple moments here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we remember who we are in Christ Jesus, and maybe that's why the book of Ephesians starts with uh, so much gospel, you know, the first chapter, verb after verb. He lavishes grace. He predestined us. He he uh, made us sit with Christ Jesus. There's just all sorts of wonderful grace-centered things that, that Jesus has done for us. But as I remember who, who I am because of Jesus, a forgiven child of God, as I remember what God has done for me, that will empower me to live for him and to suppress my evil nature. I think sometimes Christians... And it can happen mm-hmm. to us in our Lutheran oh, yeah. Lutheran church. Um, we think 
the gospel needs more teeth, that we can't let people off the hook so easy. And so we either attach conditions to it or we mention the grace of God, but then we give a, an admonition that's much, very much law. <laughs> and uh, we think, oh, that, that, that will help people. And um, I, I do not believe, the law's purpose is to show us our sins, right? Isn't? That's right. That's that is. And um, uh, an interesting verse in First uh, uh, Corinthians fifteen. I think it's the very last verse of fifteen, verse fifty-eight. It says that the power of sin is the law. Um, <laughs> Alan, let me just give you this a little. Mm-hmm. little uh, imagine you live by a school or, or anything like that. Uh, a, a few miles, yeah. A few miles, okay. Yeah. But just imagine if you lived near uh, a middle school. Okay. okay, and you just reseated your lawn. You, know, you spent Uh-oh. lots of money. You spent a lot of time with your back and your rake and all that, and you just reseated your lawn. I see where this is going. Okay, and you obviously don't want any of those middle school kids to step off the sidewalk and walk on your grass, do you? No, no. All right. So you may say, in your great wisdom, this is what I'll do. I will put up a sign that says, "What? Don't Dude. walk." Right? Yep. Okay. Now, guess what's going to happen when that middle school child walks along that path and sees your sign, Alan, that says, don't walk on the grass. He will walk on the grass. Why is that? (laughs) Because (laughs) he's tempted. He's tempted. (laughs) Is there something wrong with that sign? The sign's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, but the result of that sign is it creates... Temptation or yeah or evil desire in yeah. that child, yeah. even a good kid who probably never even thought of walking on your grass. He always walked on the you know uh, might be tempted to. Okay, well St. Paul in Romans chapter seven, good chapter that I think every Christian should read, said I would not have known what it was to covet. That means desire somebody else's stuff, except the law said, do not covet. And then all of a sudden coveting desires arose within me. St. Paul says that. That's a great chapter that every Christian should read. You know, the law says don't covet, and yet it produced in him coveting. Right. And I think we fail, our Christian brothers and sisters, when we give admonitions that are that incite sin. Oh, okay. I see where you're going. You yeah. see where I'm going? Yeah, yeah. It's like my mom when I came home from school, mm-hmm. and she was preparing uh, spaghetti, and she made a, a very good spaghetti, don't, even, don't. Even, even though she's not Italian, you know? Uh, she would say something like, now don't eat any cookies and spoil your dinner. Right. Guess what I want to do, Alan? Uh, eat cookies? Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> think of cookies when I came home, but when she said, it. don't walk, don't eat any cookies, or like if you're on a diet. Uh. You know, you, get, you just say, I'm not going to think about that chocolate cake, you know. Yeah, good enough. No. Well, you've already put your mind there, you know. You're there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think sometimes we fail one another and myself when we try to motivate by the, by the law, the commandments, and not by the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, let me go back to that story, Alan. Um Let's say it was you that planted the grass seed, and okay. I'm a middle school kid. You know, if I know you mm-hmm. as a good guy, we have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You've befriended me. Maybe we go to the same church together, or or you coach my baseball team, or something like that. If I know you, 
Yeah. I won't want to walk on your grass. Right. That does make a difference. You know? Yeah. And so that's, I think, the Christian way of living is to know what know Jesus and know what he's done for us. And we won't have those desires, you know? Uh, why would I want to take the name of Jesus in vain if that's the name of my, my Savior who died for me, you know? Right. Um, Alan, have you ever heard of a of an old 60s artist named Barry McGuire? Ever hear of him? Uh, no. Ever hear of a group called the Mamas and the Papas? Oh, yeah. Those were his backup singers. Oh. Barry was in a, a group prior to that called the New Christy Minstrels, a uh, singer called Green Green. Uh, it was kind of like a Kingston Trio group, a little bit before my time. But then in the mid-60s, uh, he had a hit called Eva Destruction. I do remember that. Yeah. And uh, he became a Christian around 1970. And uh, one day he was asking one of his friends, now that he was a Christian, he says, you know, he, well, he put it this way. He knew Jesus must be the answer because everywhere he went, he heard the name Jesus. You know, somebody dropped books oh. in a pile. Jesus Christ, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, he said, um, he finally asked his friend, why is it that we use Jesus as a swear word, you know? Why, why is it when we hit our thumb with a hammer, we don't say, oh, Buddha, you know, or, you know, or drop our books on, oh, Hare Krishna, you know? Why is it always Jesus Christ? And finally, he came to the conclusion that uh, the devil wanted to muddy that name because that's the beautiful name by which we are saved. I like, like that. Yeah, I like that. But again, if I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that name becomes beautiful for me, and I won't. it will take away the desire to use it as a cuss word. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, stories told of a little boy who went with his parents to um, uh, a relative's house. Uh, a relative in that home had died, and every, the family was gathering together to, to comfort the, the widow. And that would mean uh, lots of aunts and uncles and cousins would be there. And the little boy was told... Uh, Johnny, uh, we're going to Aunt Lucille's house, but you need to know this is not a fun time. You know, Uncle Harry died, and we're there to, to comfort Aunt Lucille. And your cousins are going to be there, but you need to be on your best behavior because this is not a happy time. Well, they get there, and Johnny takes off with the cousins, and they go into a bedroom. And, uh, and then suddenly they start hearing noises. And so Johnny's dad investigates. And sure enough, he opens his bedroom door, and, mm -hmm. and all the cousins are around the bed watching Johnny using the bed as a trampoline. Oh, yeah. Jumping up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And Dad says, Johnny, sit down. And Johnny looks at his dad and says, no, and just keeps jumping. Uh -oh. And all the cousins, you have this shocked look, you know? Uh -oh. you know? And the dad, you know, is embarrassed by being, you know, Rejected, or his words were rejected by his son in the midst of all these young cousins, right? Nieces and nephews. So he says again, Johnny, sit down. And Johnny says, no. And he keeps jumping. And he says, Johnny, last time, sit down. And he says, no. Well, this is an old story. So dad started to put his hand towards his belt, you know? Yeah. Immediately, Johnny sat down, you know? And dad rebuckled his buckle that had been un unbuckled. Proud that he had won the battle of wills, yep. you know. Yeah. And then Johnny says, "Daddy, yes, son. 
I just want to let you know that I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm jumping up and down on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when we give only the law to Christians, sometimes that's what happens. We, We get them to comply on the outside, but on the inside, they're still rebelling. Right, right. There's a much better way, and that is, yes, the law of God that shows us our sins, but then the wonderful grace of God that tells us who we are, that we've been forgiven. So, uh, I think that's Paul's way of motivating, too. You're seated with Christ, now live or walk as Christian people. And then finally, the last two chapters, uh, stand. Sit, walk, stand. Stand against the devil. If you've done everything, stand firm in your faith and don't give in. Great. Yeah. So I, I think that's wonderful. a nice outline. So Yeah, I like um, that. We should probably do the next lesson real quick. And I okay. don't know, do we have any phone calls yet? Not yet. Okay. Where are we at now? I think it's in John's Gospel, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we're in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 6. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the fathers give me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not the Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life in the world is my flesh. Amen. Very good. This is a long chapter. I think it's like 70 verses, Alan. It ends with a a verse, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, That's from one of our liturgies in in our church body. Um, John's Gospel is the most, I love the Gospel of John because someone has said it is a, it is like a river that a man can swim in and an elephant can drink from. And by that, it's simple enough for a young Christian, and yet there's a lot of content for an older Christian. So uh, it's one of the things I, I enjoy about John's Gospels, he, uh, he has some of these 
I would call them almost double entendres. I don't know if that's a, the, exactly the right word, but um, for example, mm-hmm. when Judas goes out to betray Jesus, when he leaves leaves the uh, upper room after uh, after before uh, the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. uh, John says, "And it was night." All right, John, are you telling us? the time of day yeah i guess so or are you telling us that the forces of darkness are coming upon jesus okay so kind of like a double meaning yeah he heals a blind man and then he says to the pharisees you too will die blind unless you believe in me you know and they say are we blind you know right right spiritually blind spiritually physically physically he heals a blind man and he talks about spiritual blindness you know um the woman at the well, you know, uh, Jesus says, give me a drink. And she says, well, I'm a Samaritan. You're asking me for a drink, you know. And Jesus says, well, if you had asked me, I would have given you water that uh, you'll never have to drink from again. Right. Uh, oh, give me this water always. But he was talking about faith, you know. And again, kind of like a double entendre. So we have here in John's gospel, the feeding of the 5,000 physical bread. But then Jesus talking spiritually that he is the bread of life. So um, I kind of like I kind of like that. Uh, I, I do like it if it's called an analogy or, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so Jesus says you need to eat of me, uh, otherwise you'll have no life in you. Obviously, he's not talking about physical eating, but spiritual eating or partaking. So we would call that uh, trust or faith. Mm-hmm. So this is a wonderful uh, chapter about how important it is to have faith in Jesus, but first of all, to realize he's the one who came to give life, life to the world. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So um, the next week as we read these verses, they will not understand what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> what is he talking about? You know, how can he give his br- flesh, you know, as bread? Um, so they kind of grumble and complain. But at the same point, I think they did get the the understand that um, only through him were they going to experience life. Right. So anything you see in these verses, Alan, that uh, pop out in your thoughts or minds? Um. Yeah. Um. So the Jews grumbled about him, and that's kind of a little second take. Mm-hmm. The second part of this story is that um, they didn't understand who, the, who this person was, mm-hmm. and he said, "Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph?" So, uh, yeah, yeah. How can how can this guy say he came down from heaven? We know his dad. We know his brothers. You know, uh, right? What's he making himself out to be? Exactly. So, I think back then, like. Even today, people would be willing to accept Jesus as a good teacher. Good teacher. Uh, have you ever heard of a man named C.S. Lewis, Alan? I believe I have, yes. Yeah, he's probably most famous for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and those Chronicle Narnia movies that uh, Disney and others are slowly releasing every few years. Um, but he wrote a lot of other books. And uh, C.S. Lewis was an atheist who taught in England and he decided he was going to debunk Christianity once and for all. Mm-hmm. So he investigated Christianity with a view to totally refudiate it. But in so doing, he had to read the Gospels. And he came to faith 
in Jesus Christ. And one of the arguments that he made that I think every Christian should know is that occasionally people will say Jesus is a great teacher, and that's as far as they'll take it. Or maybe a prophet, right? Right. Um, but C.S. Lewis came up and said, nah, that's intellectually dishonest. Um, and then he came up with this scenario. He said, Jesus said a lot of things that are extraordinary, like I am the way, the truth, truth and the life. life. No one comes to the Father but by me, you know? Um, he said to the Jewish leaders, if you don't believe in me, you'll die in your sins. Uh, I and the Father are one. And those statements and many others similar, uh, C.S. Lewis says you only have three possibilities. If Jesus, number one, if Jesus said what he said, and he knew those statements to be untrue, then he is a liar. Liar. Now, you don't exalt Jesus no, as a no, great prophet. Not, the guy great. lied through his teeth, you know? No, no. So, so he's a liar. If he said what he said, and he didn't know what he was saying uh, because of some mental thing, he's then we would say he's a... Crazy. Crazy. Or, and, and Lewis used the word lunatic, lunatic you know? Okay. On, the, on the level of somebody saying that I'm a poached egg or something. So he's either a liar or a lunatic. Or he said what he said, and he knew what he was saying, and it's because it's true. And if it's true, then Jesus Christ is Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. No other possibility. Right. You can't, uh, can't accept him as just a good moral teacher when he said such outlandish things. Right. So, uh, so that's a that's a wonderful thing, and I think what's happening here in our gospel lesson mm -hmm. is the Jewish people are saying, "Man, this man's making himself out to be more than we're allowing him to be." You know, we're we're willing to accept Jesus as a prophet. Now, in this uh, story of the feeding of the five thousand, uh, the Jewish people would have seen the feeding of the five thousand as a wonderful sign. The rabbis taught before Jesus' arrival that uh, various things about G uh, the Messiah. One is that he would be like David, a mighty conqueror, so he'll drive out those pagan Romans. Yeah. Because that's our real enemy, Rome. That's their big enemy right at that point. And yeah. he'll feed everybody. <coughs> he'll mm. feed everybody. And so when he feeds 5,000 people, they see that as a sign that he's the Messiah. And they're, they're ready to make him their bread king, you know? You know, with him, there'll be meals on wheels all the time for everybody. <laughs> right. So they were eager to do that but when jesus said hey hey you guys are coming to me not because you saw a sign but because you had your bellies filled you know uh and then he has made then he makes these outlandish statements that are either true or, or falsehood so uh so we're in the context of this and now we're getting to the end of the story where the religious leaders are going to grumble and complain and uh and even some of the disciples in the broad sense mm -hmm. will stop walking with jesus uh, and then he'll turn to the 12 and say, hey, are you guys going to go away too? And it's Peter who says, no, Lord, we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of everlasting life. So, Any other thoughts about bread life? Well, he does say, uh, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. I'm sure they're thinking bread mm -hmm. as to manna. But they died. Mm -hmm.
But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Yeah. So so you're, you're making yourself out to be better than Moses, and what you're able to do is greater than Moses. And right. They stumbled over that too. So. Right. Um, uh, bread of Life is a wonderful... There's a bunch of different versions of that song that are sung in some churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Roman Catholics have one, I Am the Bread of Life, written by a sister, Suzanne Tullian, uh, that we, we sometimes sing. Um, the whole image of being fed Jesus in his sacrament is, uh, is the thing that Lutherans and Episcopalians and Roman Catholic Christians probably mm-hmm. hold somewhat in common. So mm-hmm. on Sunday morning, we get together and uh, we partake of Jesus by hearing the word of forgiveness and the sermon as delivered by the pastor, and also uh, when we receive the Lord's body and blood in the sacrament. Uh, that, too, is pure forgiveness, pure grace. Yeah, that's the one, one of the wonderful things of our, our Lutheran church, is that the bread of life I will give to the life of my world is my flesh. Yes. Hey, uh, Alan, uh, why don't you tell us uh, where our listeners could, if they don't have a church, where they could go to the church if they live in the Marion County? We're on East Church Street, and if you go down Church Street, you'll, you'll know Rocky's Bicycle Shop. And so we share the, the parking lot with them. And at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday morning uh, is our worship service, and there's plenty of parking and plenty of pews, so everybody's welcome. And it's Gethsemane Lutheran Church on Church Street, you said? Yeah. You have Sunday School for Children? Yes, we do, and that would start at 9.30. I believe during the summer we don't have the Sunday School classes. But families are always uh, welcome to come and meet the pastor who's on vacation. Hear Civil War stories? No, I don't know. He'll be back Sunday, but come early, and uh, he's always about in the church, so uh, introduce yourself, and uh, us that come in early, we'll find you a good seat, and have a little chat. Again, I'm pastor of a Lutheran church in Powell. If uh, you're getting this uh, in the Delaware area, uh, you're also welcome to our church. But uh, uh, one thing I'm going to say about Pastor Brett, that I've known him for about 11 years. And he came out of a tradition that, uh, you know, was very law-oriented. And now he's mm-hmm. so grace, Jesus-centered. Uh, people, you, it's a church that you can, you know that you can send a friend to, and uh, they will hear about the love of Jesus. They will. So uh, uh, Brett has a kind uh, pastoral heart, and for that we appreciate it. Well, you've been listening to, uh, what's this call here, the Wittenberg Door? The Wittenberg Door. For Marion County and surrounding, thank you for being with us today, and, and Pastor Brett will be back next week. Until then, may God bless you and feed you with his grace. 107.1 L.